In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know about you, but for me, the best part of getting a present is right before I'm about to open it. Because I don't know what will be in there. And I'm assuming that it'll be pretty good. And even if it isn't pretty good, someone took the time and trouble to give it to me. So that's all good. The anticipation of a new thing, in many cases, is almost worth more than the thing itself. But new things are not always what we want. New things are not always things that bring us life and joy and satisfaction. Sometimes a new thing changes our lives in ways that we don't expect and we wish it had never happened. A new thing could be a diagnosis of a serious illness. Or a new thing could be hearing the word of a dear friend who has died. And our lives are changed forever. And they're changed in a way that is new. When the people of Israel were, in one of their many circumstances, finding themselves in times of trouble, the prophet Isaiah came to them in the passage that we heard earlier today to give them a sense of encouragement, saying on behalf of God, see, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And then goes on to describe that the new thing is about bringing life and refreshment and restoration and reconciliation to God's people in a time of terrible political and social and economic crisis. So clearly the word of the prophet is to be on the watch for new things. Both those things that are going to bring us life and light and comfort, the kind of new things that we expect present that we get on our birthdays or the little shoots that are popping up out of the earth or maybe a new thing that will turn our lives upside down in ways that are good and ways that are bad or if we think in terms of whole populations of people things that are good for us but may not be so good for other groups of people or at least they may not think so depending on how the new thing unfolds Whenever I hear this scripture passage, which, of course, I hear at least once every three years when it comes up in our liturgical cycle, I remember a really wonderful story that I heard when I was a graduate student living in England and worshiping at Coventry Cathedral, a place that was destroyed by firebombs in World War II and gloriously uh, rebuilt in a way that in, in no other way is a testament to how life has victory over death. This was in the late 1980s, and women had just been ordained to the priesthood here in the church in the United States. And Bishop uh, Barbara Harris was just elected to be the first woman to be a bishop in the Anglican Communion. And English people being who they were, we're not really very happy about all of this rapid pace of change. It was too new. 
and they did not like it. And they talked about it all the time, about how they didn't like it. Even the people who were in favor of it didn't like it because it was happening too soon, too much, too fast, too new. The canon missioner of Coventry Cathedral was someone who um, spoke to that when he told a story about his own experience about the ordination of women. He said that he was adamantly opposed to the ordination of women, and he had 15 very well-developed theological arguments supported by Scripture to counter anybody who disagreed with him. But, of course, it was really not based on logic or exegesis of Scripture. It was a feeling. It was too new. It was too weird. He just had nothing to do with it. He wanted nothing to do with it. And he happened to find himself on holiday, as they say, in Hong Kong. And as a good, dutiful Anglican, he went to church. And he was in a church that, unlike this church, had pews that go all the way to the walls. So he, like a good Anglican, sat way in the back and way in the back corner by a a wall. And then other people came and sat in next to him. And he was reading the leaflet and getting ready for worship. And then he realized at the time of the procession that a woman was going to be celebrating the Eucharist. And he had this sense of panic. Like, i got to get out of here. I don't think I can make it. But then he realized that there were maybe four or five people sitting next to him. And, and to get out, he'd have to crawl over them. And somehow in his English way... The prospect of being that rude overcame his aversion to having a woman celebrate the Eucharist. So he said, I'm just going to sit here and wait until it's over. I'm just going to wait until it's over. How long can it be? It's only communion. And he, he was in that very hunkered down position. And then he realizes that the service is going on, that it was exactly what he was used to. It was his service. It was his liturgy. It was his scripture readings. And by the end of it, he thought there was nothing more natural in the whole world than having this particular person, who happened to be a woman, known to her community, to be presiding at this celebration of Holy Eucharist. It was the experience of the new thing that he did not really want to have that transformed his view about a new thing that was happening in the life of the church. This is a kind of invitation to what God is doing that I think we all need to find ways to have in our lives. Not only looking to the new things that are essentially not all that new, sort of new to the season, but a repetition of something that has happened in the past, but really new kind of revolutionary, different kinds of things that break into our complacency and give us an opportunity to see God's vision and decide for ourselves how we're going to participate in it. In the gospel story that we just heard from John, Jesus was preparing for a new thing. He was preparing for his own death. He was preparing for something that 
he didn't really understand. He didn't know what it would be like, but he knew it was inevitable. He knew that God had called him to do that work for a particular reason. And he was in the company of a group of people who, for one reason or another, wanted to keep things the way they were. Judas certainly wanted to keep things the way they were because he liked taking his little money out of the common purse. And I think Lazarus and Martha also wanted to keep things the way they were because who wouldn't want to have Jesus come and be with you as your personal friend? Among them, Mary, who was always a bit of a revolutionary, decided that it was time to do something new. She took some investment of her own, an investment of this very expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet as an over-exuberant expression of her love for him. And it wasn't only Judas, probably, who thought that that was peculiar. Women did not typically get a big jar of nard and pour it on a man's feet and wash feet with hair. In very, very many ways, that was a new and kind of scandalous thing to do. And when Judas complained about it and said, why not give this money to the poor? Jesus said this very interesting thing. The poor will, you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. I don't think when Jesus said that, he meant to say that it's okay to be complacent about people who are poor. I think what he meant to say in that moment is as long as people don't want to see beyond their own immediate advantage, the poor will always be with us. As long as people are willing to use artificial ways of discriminating one from another, gender or race or ethnicity or any kind of characteristic that we can use to divide one from another, as long as we're focused on those things, the poor will always be with us. Because whether or not we actively try to undermine the rights and the capacity of the poor to thrive in God's kingdom, that's what happens when all we do is live a life that is organized around little surprises of things that aren't really that surprising little bits of newness to cheer us up and move us forward in little ways, but more or less keep things the same, keep us stuck in this place of sin, of not being able to see beyond our own interests to engage in the reconciling work that God calls us to do on behalf of all God's people. So Jesus is doing a new thing Mary is doing a new thing. And we're all invited when we hear these stories of doing a new thing ourselves. Of not focusing so much attention on how to keep things the way they are. 
not focusing so much attention on how to keep ourselves and the people immediately around us whom we love safe and well cared for. Jesus is inviting us into a different kind of new thing, a new thing where we are willing to take some risks. As St. Paul says, to give it all away for the prize of the glory of the resurrection, that we don't know how that will be for us. But we know that Jesus has gone before us and is holding that out as an invitation to us. So as we approach the end of this Lenten season and begin to walk with Jesus as he does this new thing, this passion, this offering himself on the cross, I ask each one of us to look around to see where are the new invitations to go beyond where we're comfortable to look for those places in our lives where the new thing might be disturbing at first, but also inspiring, giving us an opportunity to think about new ways of engaging God's world, new ways of sharing God's grace with the people all around us. Unless we're willing to walk with Jesus into that place of darkness, Unless we're willing, like Mary, to give in a kind of crazy, overabundant way of our resources for the sake of love, we may not be able to achieve the goal that Jesus sets before us, at least not in a timeline that necessarily uh, makes sense in the, the context of a normal lifespan. This is a season in which Jesus is asking us to take risks. I don't know very much about this congregation. I know a little bit about it by having served among you uh, in uh, this diocese for many years. But I know that you as a community have been faithful witnesses to your faith in the world. And that you continue to discern what that is going to look like now and in the future. I commend that. And I commend that you go deeper. Go deeper into that work. Because in doing so, you're following the path that Jesus has set for you. The invitation that God is calling you to do. And in that work, you are creating the new life in the world that Isaiah promised so many centuries ago to people who were struggling, people who were anxious, people who needed to see evidence that God is really alive and active and a loving force in this world. So I commend that work to you, and I offer myself as a partner in that work as I try to do that myself in the work that I do, in the congregations that I visit and that I serve, knowing that when we do that, whatever happens, whether it is the newest thing or it feels like the oldest thing in the world, that's the way we come to know that Jesus is our companion on the way. And that's where we're most able to break open the gifts that God 
has given to each one of us and offer them more fully to all of God's people. I pray that this may be so for all of us. Amen.